The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to our latest podcast, our latest from Port Charlotte. As we record this, the Rays have 38 active players in camp working to reduce that number to 28 for opening day. We're going to talk about what's happened so far and what may happen in the final week and a half with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. You're also going to hear from three players. One is Jeffrey Springs. He's one of four players coming off surgery that can be a big boost to the Rays' bullpen. We'll introduce you to Seth Blair, who at 33 and just reassigned a minor league camp, is still seeking his major league debut after five years out of the game at one point and teaching himself to throw sidearm. Plus, we'll have a conversation with Jonathan Aranda, who recently was optioned to minor league camp. And we'll be joined by Renee Edwards of the Saturday Morning Shop about an event this weekend at Tropicana Field while the Rays are down in Port Charlotte. We start, though, with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And, Topper, we're almost at the end of spring training, yet it seems like we just started. It's a weird one, Neil. And, um, you know, we've, we've been through a few weird things the last couple of years, obviously with 2020 getting shut down and last year kind of being, you know, no access and, and then things evolving as we went. But it does. It feels like it's still getting started. I know I personally still haven't got to that point where I can put the names with the faces. Uh, and yet cuts have already happened. Opening day is, is what, nine, ten days away. Opening day starters been named. All kinds of things are, are happening. So it, it is kind of a hurry up and, and rush through at spring training, even though there's still a marathon ahead for the season. And since you brought it up, let's touch on Shane McClanahan. Uh, obviously not a big surprise. I think we all anticipated he would be the opening day starter. Uh, and here we are. And w- what a success story for Shane McClanahan. I mean, give him... A big bulk of the credit here, obviously, the Rays player development, their scouting people, but, you know, a kid taken here locally out of USF, you know, a high-round pick, first-round pick, got a lot of money, but I, I don't know that when the Rays drafted him, Neil, they saw him as an opening day starter. I think they saw him as a power arm. I think they saw him as a guy who they expected to pitch some meaningful innings, but I don't know if they knew. He had some injury history coming out of school, so I'm not sure they knew exactly what they had. Made the very unusual debut in the majors in the postseason in 2020, unprecedented, and then uh, goes into the rotation last year after starting the year in the minors and ends up as the lead uh, starter, the top starter on the race staff. And here we are opening day 2022 for a contending team. He is your opening day starter. And I think Kevin Cash mentioned on Tuesday, too, what was so special is with the Tyler Glass now injury, he really was forced into a much bigger role as the year went on. And boy, he handled it extremely well. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been around Shane enough to know and have heard the anecdotes that, you know, he's funny and he'll joke around and he's relaxed. And we've seen him in the clubhouse, you know, asking the clubbies to put a certain song on. And I guess you'd call it dancing with what he does. But everyone tells you on game day, different animal. I mean, he he might be Dave and Andy joking around on other days, but on game day, he's Neil Solons. He is all business and uh, a very serious game face, a very serious attitude. You know, kind of a don't talk to me persona. And he goes out and he channels it. And we've seen the results on the mound. They certainly have been incredible. And you mentioned at the top, you know, this kind of rush to opening day. I guess we anticipated injuries. You were the first to report about the anticipation regarding Pete Fairbanks. The news is not good. Certainly this group is capable of, of handling that loss for however long it may be. But he's still a big part of that bullpen. He is, and, and you know, the, the bullpen is always a, an, an, an amalgam of how they put it together here, and there's there's guys who are in there because they have a certain pitch, there's guys who are in there because they have a certain level of experience, there's guys who are in there because they have a certain ability to get a predictable outcome, 
you know, Keith Fairbanks was a high leverage guy. He could get some strikeouts, could break some bats, you know, that kind of power arm. And I think the role for him, you know, they have to fill those innings, but they also have to fill that role. Can they do it internally? I think they can. They obviously got more pitchers. You know, we've gone through the roster a number of times kind of projecting. They seem to have more relievers than they have spots for. And that's with the two extra spots, we presume, will go to pitchers that teams are allowed to have for that first month. So it will be a big loss. You know, the potential that if, you know, if the six-week no-throwing um, um, evaluation or diagnosis ends up being verified or confirmed by the second opinion, usually you've got to have the same amount of time to build up. So that's 12 weeks. You're looking all-star break or maybe just before for Pete Fairbanks to be back with the Rays. That's a big loss out of the gate. It certainly would be. And obviously they have the injury to Shane Boz, which would put him out into, you know, sometime in May. But, you know, as you mentioned, um, this group is deep. Are the bullpen spots really all we're thinking about in terms of, um, you know, what has to be determined by opening day, assuming no more injury issues and that Kevin Kiermaier is ready to go? Yeah, I think if Kiermaier is ready to go, I mean, I think the acquisition of Harold Ramirez, at least in my opinion, kind of completes the position player group now. I think that puts, you know, Vidal Brujan back in the minor leagues. I think Taylor Walls is your reserve, you know, kind of utility infielder type of guy. You know, they still seem maybe they could use somebody who could play a little infield. They're, they're going to be heavy on outfielders. Um, you know, there's going to have to be, you know, I, I guess a tough decision, you'd say, on Josh Lowe and, and Luke Rayleigh, who they acquired also. I don't see those guys fitting on the team right now the way it's set up. So I, I do think. They're going to be a little heavy outfield-wise, but I, I also don't think there's really any decisions left barring any injuries and if Kiermaier is ready to go. And beyond that, Mark, I, again, obviously it's been a strange spring training. What would you see as the other big stories in spring training, and how much does the 28-man roster also help this group for that first month? Well, I think it does help, Neil. And, and you know, I don't know if there's been a big story per se in spring training, which is probably exactly how Kevin Cash and Eric Neander would prefer it. You know, there really hasn't been any big issue. There hasn't been a trade to this point. There hasn't been a contract extension to this point. You know, they renewed Randy Arozarena, but I don't think that, you know, from what he said, that that bothered him all that much salary-wise. So I don't think we've had anything from the business aspect. From the baseball side, it seems like everybody came in in good shape. I mean, there have been a lot of eyes on Wander. There's been a parade to his locker of, of national and international media, you know, since camp has opened. And I do think, you know, the, the scrutiny on Wander – is going to continue. Everyone's curious about him. You know, is what he did last year just the start of things? You know, was that a great beginning? Is he going to do even better? How's he going to be over a full season? What's he going to do with $182 million? So there's going to be a lot of focus on Wander, but it doesn't seem to have ruffled him either. So I, I think otherwise, it has been kind of an uneventful camp. There weren't a lot of openings going in. There's now been one major injury. Uh, they seem to have the depth to cover it. There have been a couple smaller acquisitions. We'll kind of see what happens these next nine, 10 days. And since you brought up Wander, I know probably all of your special section will be, or most of it, will be devoted to him. Is there anything interesting you found out that you didn't know about Wander that you want to kind of tease for what's going to be in the Times? Um, I think one of the interesting things that I came across, and, and you've been for some of these interviews, is asking people, you know, either what surprised them the most about what Wander did last year or what didn't surprise them and kind of what the comparable is. And a couple of raised people have said it's really hard to find a comparable for somebody who did what he did at his age who plays the position he plays, who's a switch hitter as he is, so thus, you know, kind of eliminating the A-Rod comparison. And there really aren't a lot of players who, at 20 years old, accomplished what he did playing that position as a switch hitter. Uh, and then, yeah, you can just get kind of lost in all the stats. And, and obviously, we go back to the on-base streak last year, but, you know, there's a short list, I think, of the last decade of players 
who put up as big of a war as he did at his age. Just a handful of guys who've done that. And it's a lot of interesting things in that regard. Topper, good stuff. Uh, we look forward to reading all about it in the Tampa Bay Times, and we'll certainly chat with you a lot during the regular season. All right, Neil. Can't wait. Always a pleasure. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. With Pete Fairbanks injured, several Rays will need to step up. Certainly, Jeffrey Springs could be one of them. Springs was terrific last year before a freak ACL injury cost him the rest of the season. Now, after a lengthy rehab, Jeffrey made his first spring appearance last week, and I asked him what it meant to him. I mean, I think it was, you know, a big deal. It was just kind of, you know, a testament to all the hard work and, you know, every everybody that's helped me along the way in the process from a physical standpoint, a mental standpoint. Uh, it was just nice getting back out there and competing and seeing hitters uh, and, you know, just doing what I love to do. So it was it was a big check mark, you know, time. It was it was exciting. Like I said, there was a, some emotions for sure. But, uh, you know, now that I've got that one out of the way is continue to work and, you know, kind of get everything dialed back in and get ready to go for the season. The reputation of this training staff is so good, but during the lockout, you weren't able to have conversation with them. So was that the most challenging part of the rehab process? Uh, probably, yeah, because, I mean, especially going through something, you know, I've, I've never had any surgery, you know, especially nothing major like this. So it was tough to, you know, there's things like, hey, I wanna, you wanted to call and ask about this and that. But um, the place I was rehabbing, you know, they were keeping up and, you know, making sure I was checking all the boxes, you know, things that I needed to get done. But, yeah, I mean, the, the lockout for sure is tough, and I think anybody coming off surgery or any kind of major rehab would probably tell you the same thing because, I mean, there's things that come up, there's things that you want to ask, and you just you can't call. So it's, you know, just trusting the place that you're rehabbing that, you know. you know. So it was, it was difficult, but, I mean, it, it worked out, you know. Do you have a lot of conversations kind of before it happened to help prepare yourself for it so at least you were kind of staying with the program? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of what to expect, you know, each month, you know, the big the big steps of like when I started running, when I could start doing certain things. Uh, and then, you know, talking to guys that were going through, have been through an ACL rehab or, you know, I talked to Brandon Lau a lot about it from back in the day he went through it. And, um, yeah, so it was helpful to kind of – prepare as much as possible but I mean again each day it was kind of you know a new challenge and just kind of take it day by day and um, just kind of see where that day goes but uh, yeah it was it was a challenging like I said not knowing what to expect but overall it it worked out so far so you mentioned that it checked a box off is there anything else that you feel you need to check off here in the spring and if so what is it I think Nothing necessarily from a checkoff standpoint other than just getting stuff dialed in, you know, from the pitch execution, from, you know, the movement on the off-speed stuff to just normal spring training things. I, I mean, I think I've done all the – checked all the boxes myself. You know, like I feel good about where I'm at. I feel good with what I can do. Now it's just, you know, fine-tuning everything like, like a normal spring training. Do you need to have a play in a game where you have to handle either like a swing bunt or a comebacker or something like that just to know, okay, I got that out of the way? I mean, if if so, yeah, it'd be great. But honestly, no, I've, I've done – I've pushed the cutting as hard as probably I, I would go in a game um, and – when I was rehabbing back home, just to go ahead and get over that, to go ahead and get it out of the way, to do it enough to where it's like, no big deal. Like the the cutting and the things that I was doing is way harder than anything I would do fielding a bunt or whatever. Um, did a lot of simulating bunts and fielding stop and having to change the direction. So no, I mean honestly, from a, a mental standpoint, I you know I'm 
being smart about it in spring training and things like that. But when it comes down to a game and doing it, I I don't see any issues with it at all. Before the injury, you were having arguably your best run in the big leagues. Yeah. What did that do for you, and how much does it help you going into this year? Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the, the best year I've put together so far this year uh, in my big league career, like you said. Um, I think it just gives me, you know, a lot of confidence to be, hey, I'm I'm back healthy. I'm, you know, kind of pick up where I left off. And as, you know, that I can have success, that my stuff plays like I think it should. And, you know, the pitching staff, the guy, the, the coaching staff, everybody here has kind of helped push me and, you know, get me in the right direction and, you know, get me to where I want to be as a pitcher. So, you know, I'm looking forward to just picking up right where I left off. Your stuff looked really good your first outing. What were the biggest changes you made last year that allowed you to take that step, both physically and mentally? I think just, you know, trusting, trusting the all-speed stuff, trusting the slider. Um, I've always liked to throw my fastball, but I was able to get a little bit more velocity off of it coming into last year's season. Um, just fix some posture stuff on the mound, some little things. Uh, we tweaked the change up a little bit to try to get more of the tumbling action down and away. Uh, something they pointed out when I first got traded over, and I think just binding the philosophy of you know attacking hitters, going right at them, throw strike one, throw strike two, and again, it just trusting stuff. Yeah, we always hear it's a simple approach here, and everyone says how analytical they are, but at the same time, they keep it pretty easy to understand yeah i mean it's it's very simple to understand and they use the analytics to back it up and it's you know when you got a room full of the arms that we have the the people that they've seemed to produce year in and year out it's it speaks for itself and when you know everybody's in those pitchers meetings and doing the same thing you kind of it's easier to buy into and you know it's we feed off each other there's like i said unbelievable arms everywhere you look so it's you know you want to be a part of that so on that end how good can this bullpen be because i look at yourself and beaks and poche and thompson coming back off surgery to add to all the other guys i mean it's we got depth for sure i mean any one of these guys can pitch in any role any position any game it doesn't matter i mean it's amazing um it really is and like i said just Looking around the room, picking you know, picking guys' brains here and there, watching them throw, supporting them, you know, watching the games. It's it's going to be an exciting, exciting year for sure. Great to see you back. Good luck the rest of spring training. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. That's Jeffrey Springs, who's fighting to rejoin the Rays. Seth Blair may have been the most unique and best story in camp. How's this for a Cliff Notes version? He's 33. He's seeking his first major league appearance after being a first round pick in 2010. Blair was out of the game for five years due to injury and also while he fought a custody battle for his son. And he kept playing in a men's league and eventually taught himself to throw sidearm. And now he's hoping the Rays are the best place for his dream opportunity. And I asked what led him to Tampa Bay. This was the best opportunity that I could have. That was, that's really, I had a couple other opportunities to play this year and this one was the best opportunity. I felt like uh, I could learn the most here. And with uh, what they see with my stuff and how to execute to get hitters out, um, just kind of exciting. Your story just to get here, you had to teach yourself a lot to reinvent yourself, so to speak. How did it happen and, and touch on why it happened? Well, long story short, the basically the track man, the black box, is uh, what you're judged off of. And my numbers on the track man overhand got to be to a point where I didn't think I could make them any better. And uh, they, it was during COVID 2020, and you had to make it on a 60-man roster in order to play. And the n- numbers I could put up sidearm gave me a chance to do that. So since then, um, 
I got myself back into the game sidearm and I also can see kind of what that does to the hitter and so it kind of gave me more confidence to just know that it's not as comfortable of an at-bat. When did you come up with the idea that sidearm was the way to go because that's not an easy thing to just suddenly teach yourself. It was truly because I threw 100 miles an hour overhand and they were like you aren't going to go to the 60-man roster so it's like what can I try and it just was out of creativity honestly. And prior to that, I mean, you were a high pick. You were uh, out of the game for several years. How? What happened during that five-year period, and what got you back? Uh, a lot of things happened during the five-year period, but um, basically I was injured, and then once I got my injury started to heal, I was dealing with custody issue, trying to get my son, and... Um, I started working a regular job, and kind of once you start working, you don't really want to take your chance of playing baseball again until you know that you really have a chance. And um, I was playing adult league at baseball, and when uh, I would go out and throw, I was enjoying myself more and more each time, and eventually um, just got to a point where I got lucky and got signed and went to the Padres um, in 2019. It was actually Harold Reynolds seen a video and reached out to me. I didn't even know him at the time, and he helped me get signed. Um, so the whole thing has just been a kind of a whirlwind of experience. So what video was it, and how did Harold Reynolds find it? It was a video that I had this company called Texas Baseball Ranch put out onto Twitter, and I knew that they had a good following and that people respected their account. And so I had them put it up out there, and... Uh, my high school baseball coach had met Harold Reynolds in the time that I hadn't talked to him in a few years and uh, basically was had Harold reach out to me and Harold helped me get signed and uh, went and played high A baseball 38 years old and got to compete and I loved it. What, how difficult was it to step away from the game? Obviously you put family first and that is the most important thing. Well it wasn't my choice to step away so it was it was difficult in the fact that I was in rehab and I got released and it's kind of uncertain about how that even worked and um, finding finding the right treatment, finding out what was actually wrong with me took a lot longer than I thought. So um, I didn't really have a choice but to go about it this way. And what was the, what was the uh, injury that you found out after all the rehab and, and how did you treat it? Uh, it was thoracic outlet, which is you know it's in your it's in your shoulder basically get the uh impingement up there of the first rib and so how i how i treated it was i eventually found this uh direct current electricity and um kind of just like shocked it out of there so you never had the rib removed because there are a lot of guys i think in this clubhouse that have gone through that process i think ryan thompson brendan mckay cody reed all of them yeah no i didn't have to i figured where I was at in my life I probably wasn't going to get the best treatment if I chose the surgical route so uh, I tried some alternative therapy and luckily for me it um, gave me an opportunity to throw again without pain. And, and you touched on the the fact that you know teaching yourself sidearm but you had a, a bullpen mound in at home too and had tons of pitchers come through during the whole COVID process as well what was that like? Uh, for me, it was just motivating, honestly. Like, all my friends were all signed with teams, whether they're in the big leagues, the minor leagues. Uh, they were doing what I wanted to do. They just couldn't do it anywhere because every facility was closed. And I had the mound in my backyard with a radar gun and a uh, place to throw. So it just became this place where you could come get your work in. And for me, it was really just a lot of motivation to be around other guys that had a like-minded thought process.
How long had that mound been up there before, uh, prior to the whole pandemic? Uh, t- two weeks. So, yeah, I, I basically told my brother, like, hey, if you buy me a pitcher's mound, I'm going to figure out how to throw 100 and I'll get signed. And uh, I didn't know that the pandemic was coming at that point. And so we got the mound and I started tossing on it. And a couple weeks later is when the whole shutdown happened. And did you get feedback, too, just about your sidearm throwing at that point? And how much did that help to see other pitchers? Or did you kind of, you know, tinker with it while you were with them? Honestly, I was throwing all overhand. And then right before I ended up signing with the Red Sox, I just switched to sidearm. So I only ended up doing it for, like, three weeks before I signed. I never had any plans to throw a sidearm. I just took ground balls with all those guys that were coming over because we were just we didn't have anything to do with COVID happening. You couldn't do anything, so we'd go to the park and um, take ground balls or hit off the tee or hit little tiny balls. Like we were just all being little kids playing baseball, and we were free enough to be able to realize like we didn't have anything else to do. So it was just a fun time. And as you mentioned, uh, um, the Rays were a team that you thought really could help you the most. So what's this camp been like, and how much have you appreciated what they've been able to help you with? Uh, the camp's been amazing so far um, with everything that they've told me about what they see and um, just how to use my pitches, how to understand who I really am, how to how I can have confidence to throw the ball in the zone. Um, you know, just, just layers of things that... Um, I feel I can add to the experience that I got last year throwing sidearm for the first time. Have you talked to Ryan Thompson? I don't know. He doesn't quite throw the same as you, but there is another pitcher in camp who does throw similarly. Yeah, no, I have talked to him. He's been amazing. Um, I hope that, you know, I have more opportunities to keep learning from him because he's really good at it. We appreciate a few minutes. Hopefully continued success in your growth as a sidearm pitcher and the chase of the big leagues continues. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Great story from Seth Blair. Adam Berry went into it in great detail on MLB.com on the race site. You can see it there. Blair was reassigned to minor league camp on Tuesday afternoon. All the first-year 40-man players already had been optioned, including infielder Jonathan Aranda. He was an MVP in 2021 in Montgomery, and I asked Jonathan through Manny Navarro what it meant just to be on the 40-man. Bueno, fue una noticia muy bonita para mí. Eh, fue un, un orgullo por todo el trabajo que he llevado a través de mi carrera en ligas menores. Eh, fueron seis años trabajando duro, atravesando cada una de las de las ligas, este, sin dar un brinco extra. Entonces. I feel really good to be able to be there. It was a, it was a surprise, um, but I think over the last few years and you know six years in the organization, I think I'm very proud of where I've been and all the things I've been able to accomplish here in, with the team. Why was it a surprise? Que fue sorpresa. El estar aquí, yo creo que el año pasado fue un año fue el año que me tuvo aquí. Un año donde donde yo Jonathan Aranda Pude dar un brinco que no había podido dar en esos seis años y yo creo que eso fue una sorpresa para mí. Y, y el estar aquí entre tantos jugadores yo creo que es lo que me tiene muy orgulloso. I think the year that I had last year really brought out who Jonathan Aranda was. You know, I was be able to, to, to take, make that leap, make that jump again after those few years. I was able to get into that jump into, onto the roster. What was the difference last year? ¿Qué fue la diferencia el año pasado? La diferencia del año pasado fue que yo creí que podía hacer las cosas y eso fue lo que me dio esa motivación para, para dar ese brinco grande. 
I think last year was the, the belief. I believed in myself that you know I can make that jump and get a little bit better, and I think that's what gave me the confidence. Did you change anything physically or all mental changes? algo físicamente o todo mentalmente? Todo fue mentalmente. Everything was mentally. Who helped you? ¿Quién te ayudó? Yo, yo mismo me ayudé a, a dar ese brinco a poder este creérmela de que yo puedo lograr hacer las cosas y estar este donde siempre he querido estar. Just myself, you know, believing in myself, I was able to give myself the confidence to be able to make that jeep and that lump, that jump and that leap over into to a little higher level. And offensively, it was your best year. What anything different at the plate? No offense, fue tu el mejor año que tuviste. Cambiaste algo en el plato? Yo creo que fue que yo creo que todo el trabajo que que he venido haciendo durante estos seis años se reflejó el año pasado. Yo creo que sumándole ese trabajo de esos seis años más la confianza que tenía y mi mentalidad fue lo que lo que pude hacer. I think all the hard work that I put in um, leading up to, to that point and all these years in there, it gave me the, the confidence to be up and, and, and the work to be in there is along with the confidence it reflects out there. So how is this camp gone? So como está el camp este año? Es muy bonito, es muy bonito poder trabajar con toda esta gente que ya tiene muchos años en Grandes Ligas y es bonito poder verlos día con día, cómo trabajan, aprenderles sus rutinas y ver cómo, cómo trabajan día por día por mantener ese puesto. No, it's beautiful to be around all these guys, a lot of these you know, major leaguers that have a lot of time and really observe what they do, their routines and how they go about their business on a day-to-day -day basis. Who's helped you the most? ¿Qué te ha ayudado más? Uh, yo trabajo mucho en segunda con Bilau, entonces eh, él me, yo le he podido aprender mucho, le he podido eh, pedir algunos consejos. Uh, I've been uh, with, uh, doing a lot of work at second base with Bilau, so I've been asking a lot of things for him, and he's giving me a lot of advice. And you play three positions. Where do you feel most comfortable? Las tres posiciones, ¿dónde te sientes más cómodo? Yo creo que ahorita la más cómoda ha sido la primera base porque fue donde terminé jugando más el año pasado, pero al final de cuentas mi mentalidad Yo puedo estar en las tres. Right now, I feel very confident and comfortable at first base. That's where I finished off playing mo most of last year. Um, but, you know, anywhere they put me, I'll be comfortable playing there. That's Jonathan Aranda. He plays first, second, and third base and should start the year in AAA Durham. The Rays, meanwhile, still have just over a week before opening day. This weekend, Tropicana Field's parking lot will host the Saturday morning shop, and I asked their organizer, Renee Edwards, about that. This is the one-year anniversary of the Saturday morning shop. Um, the Saturday morning shop actually started April 3rd of last year at the Bethel Community Church. Two months after that, I partnered with the Rays, and we started at Lot 4 in the Tropicana Field on June 5th. So this is like huge for the community. It's huge for minority businesses and women-owned businesses. So this will be a huge celebration for us to be going on for one year. So explain to our fans who may not know what Saturday Morning Shop is and how it's grown since the partnership with the race. The Saturday Morning Shop is between 75 to 100 vendors. And we come out to the Tropicana Field in Lot 4 every first Saturday to sell goods, uh, arts and crafts, boutiques, food, you name it, we have it. It's all minority and women-owned businesses. And what it does is it has grown to actually six different cities. So since we started with our partnership with the Rays, we've gone to Miami, Clearwater, Tampa, Atlanta. I mean, we're in different cities doing this same event. 
So what this does is allow small businesses to expand their brand and also build economic development. So is there anything in particular that you guys are doing in celebration this coming weekend that uh, our fans should know about, assuming they want, they come out to Tropicana Field over the weekend? Yes, we're going to have promotions. We're going to have prizes. The Rays is also sponsoring a free concert. So we're asking that people bring their lawn chairs and come out and participate. Everything is free. It's free parking. We're just asking people to come out, shop vendors, uh, shake hands, the we have the city officials coming out, meet the mayor. There'll be people there. Just come out and have a great time. And what time will uh, the Saturday morning shot be for people who are coming for the first time? Okay. It's from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Okay. And does the concert run during that time or is... The uh... concert is going to start at noon. Great. It, give us an idea of how, you know, the response that you've gotten, I, I would assume not only from vendors, but also from patrons as to the ability to have something like this. It's been amazing. People are really, really receptive to supporting small business. And being that we started, you know, within a pandemic, you know, and all of my events are outside, of course, it has been very receptive. People love to shop. People love to find things that they would normally not find. Also, the food. Um, I get raving reviews for the fried lobster I get raving reviews for the lemonade stands. And, you know, we also have our seafood guy who has his very own Krabby Patty, which is a crab stuffed fried patty per se. And it's amazing. So the food there, the barbecue, of course, the cheesecake, I mean, you name it. We get tons of reviews about the food alone. Sounds like a great time. If so, let's say there's a vendor, a small business out there that wants to, a minority owned business that wants to get involved in the future, how do they reach out to do so as well? Okay, they can call me directly at 727-225-6261 or they can go on our website. It's www.satmorningshopshoppe.com. And Renee, obviously you've had a, a great year. You're going to, you know, be a, a year at, at Tropicana Field in June. Um, yes. How big, how, you know, what are, what are, you know, you've already grown this to six cities. What are the plans going forward? The plans going forward is to grow to 10 cities. That's the plan going forward, to grow to 10 cities. I mean, I want my vendors to turn their small businesses from a hustle to an actual business. So that's my goal. So I want them to get rid of their nine to fives and walk in their passion. So I plan to lead business owners, you know, to that path. Well, it's great that you're doing this. We certainly appreciate some time and we hope that folks will come out this weekend to the Saturday morning shop at Tropicana Field. Thank you so much. Thank you again for interviewing me and hope to see you soon, sir. Thanks so much to Renee Edwards for being on the podcast today. And again, the Saturday morning shop is this Saturday at Tropicana Field in the parking lot over by Lot 4. Thanks as well to Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, plus Jeffrey Spring, Seth Blair, and Jonathan Aranda for being on the podcast today. Now Saturday and Sunday, Andrew Kittrich and bench coach Matt Quatrail will join us on Countdown to Opening Day. Until then, thanks so much for being with us, and we will chat with you soon.